0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show
1: description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Lloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to GriefCast. Hey Griefsters! I hope you're having an okay week. Um, I know I say that every week, but I do, I do genuinely mean it. Um, also, sorry if that Hey Griefsters was a bit jolly... <laughs> hard to know where to pitch it sometimes um if you've been enjoying the show please do uh, rate and review us on itunes and uh, don't forget to subscribe i know everyone asks you to do that because it helps um other people find the podcast so uh, thank you if you've already done that genuinely thank you uh, very much we have a Griefcast live Ooh, coming up on June the 6th, we'll be at the South Bank Underbelly Festival. Underbelly South Bank Festival. I think tickets are available now. Uh, I haven't sorted out my guests yet, but trust me, there are going to be three very exciting comedians talking about death. So uh, if you want to come to a live episode, um, make sure that you buy tickets. <laughs> That's how you will come to see the live episode. This week I'm talking to Paul Mayhew Archer. You might not know that name, but you've definitely watched some of the comedy shows he's involved in. Uh, he's been a writer and a producer, commissioning editor. He famously co-wrote The Vicar of Dibley. He worked on My Hero and Miranda. He also produced thousands of radio programmes from Weekending, Time Sorry and Have a Clue. Um, if you've liked a comedy show, he's probably in some way been involved. Um, he's also started doing stand-up very recently uh, since he was diagnosed with Parkinson's and he has a show that is he's touring at the moment called Incurable Optimist. It's on at the Soho Theatre this week but then it's also touring all over the UK um, so definitely check that out. Um, you will enjoy this chat with him very, very much. I-, I guarantee it and do go and see his show as well. Paul came in to talk to me about his mum who died when he was in his early 20s. Welcome to Grievecast. I'm here today with writer, producer, performer, commissioning editor and uh, legend, I would say, (laughs) of comedy, Paul Mayhew Archer. Hello. Hello. Um, You've worked on so many shows that it's almost... It's almost pointless to list them all.
0: Yes, don't bother.
1: Yeah, there's, because there's just so many. But um, you're probably best known for Vicar of Dibley. Yes. So you created Vicar of Dibley. No, I
0: didn't it. create the Vicar of Dibley. I, I uh, co-wrote the Vicar co-wrote of it, Dibley. It, yes. It, yeah. I was uh, I was working at Channel Four at the time. Oh wow. And helping to commission shows there, um, like Drop the Dead Donkey and, and Father Ted.
1: Oh, I love the to Drop the Dead glorious Donkey. glorious
0: Father Ted and <laughs> yeah. the glorious stop the Dead yeah. Donkey. Um, and I, um, I got a call from a Tiger Television who were working with Richard Curtis and uh, they said he's working on a new sitcom called The Village about a woman vicar. <laughs> and uh, he's looking for someone to write with. Would you go along and have a chat? So I thought they were, he wanted to pick my brains about writers to work uh, with. Oh, right, yeah. So yeah. I took a list of ten writers... <laughs> And I said to him, um, I said, uh, they're all lovely and I think you'd have a lovely time and they're very good. And he looked a bit bewildered and said, (laughs) oh, I I see. I I thought you might like (laughs) to have a go. You nearly talked yourself out of a job. Yes, absolutely. It was pathetically useless of me. Um, So um, he said he'd seen a a sitcom, a short-lived sitcom of mine called An Actor's Life for Me. And uh, he'd rather liked it. Which shows you don't need sort of millions of viewers. You just yeah. need one. Yeah, if you yeah, have the right to be one. If <laughs> <Richard> is <Curtis. laughs> and it he It helps um, in Richard Curtis. That's Richard's right. Done. And he, uh, so I, even then I didn't sort of push myself. I said, well, oh gosh. Because he'd done um, Blackadder and Mr Bean by that time. Wow, yeah. So I was a bit in awe and I said, well, I'll, I'll send you some storylines and if you like one of them... <laughs> I light it up and luckily he did.
1: That's very lucky. You almost talked yourself out of it twice. Twice. <laughs> Pathetic <laughs> No, I can understand. It's Richard Cut I mean, yeah, yeah. He's... Anyway, I Blackadder was just it's well, still it one of my absolute... Sublime. Sublime, yeah, it's almost perfect. And it?
0: and uh, and then um uh, we sort of worked on it. we did the first series and I did some of the episodes in the first series. And then, of course, we were going to do a, we were doing a, an Easter special, and I rang him up to talk about it, and he said, um, "Can I ring you back in half an hour?" It's just, I've got this little movie that's opening in America, and I, they're <laughs> going to tell me how it's done at the box office, and so he, he rang me back half an hour later to say. My little movie's number one at the, <laughs> point. and from the moment of four weddings and a funeral, it sort of you know wow. just went stratospheric. So, uh,
1: so this was before four weddings. This was just before just four before, weddings, wow. and then
0: and then whenever I rang up, you know, it's quite um, busy. I, I, I'd get Emma, or <laughs> and she'd be saying, "Yes, it, it's just he's got um, uh, Dustin Hoffman in the kitchen at the moment, or <laughs> or he's just on the phone." Fun- and then with with what with that and and. Um, Uh, Comic Relief and Make Poverty History and everything. I saw his checklist of phone calls that he had to make one lunch hour while we were rehearsing. And it literally was. Ring sting to confirm his appearance (laughs) in the uh, Comic Relief Dibley special. Gordon Brown rang. Could you ring him back? This was Gordon Brown, Prime Minister. And the third one was um, uh, Bill Clinton would really appreciate a call.
1: Oh, my God. So, um, so I
0: rang my wife, just so <laughs> I had someone to call. And she wasn't in.
1: <laughs> but it's just as valid. Everyone it's needs to make abso- those calls. Absolutely valid. We've yes, all got our yes. own calls to make. Some yes. of us Bill Clinton, some of us not. That's, yes. that's fine. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, amazing series, Vickery Didby. But it's funny because I know your name because I'm a radio comedy geek. Ah. And, yeah, and, like, for me... We you listen to a lot of radio comedy? I don't know if there's many of us. But you collect the names of people. And I'd always, like, if I liked something, it would say at the end, produced by Paul Mayhew Archer. i think, oh, oh. And the first time, I thought, oh, I like him. And the first time I met your son, who's also a comedy producer, yeah. I was a bit awestruck because I was like, he must be Paul Mayhew Archer's son. Like, that, but I've never told Simon that. <laughs> I was excited. I was like, God. He was like, oh, I'm Simon Mayhew Archer. Because he was working on a radio show I did with Adam Riches. Way back when, ah yes, when he was in radio, but of course now he has he deals this country, the amazing this country for BBC yes. Three. Um, but I knew him back when he was doing
0: radio. Yes, well, I'm I'm actually a, a little bit in awe of my son. Oh, because nice. he he does wonderful things. Yeah, this country is um, amazing. This country, but small scenes which you yes, do with which I, I am
1: I, in <laughs> is
0: is a fantastic. I, I emailed him this morning just to say. I, I love small scenes. In oh. fact, what I love about the things he does is that they're all like nothing else.
1: Yeah, around. that's true,
0: actually. And they're yeah. distinctive. And small and, and small scenes is, is wonderfully imaginative.
1: Um, who are we remembering today? From?
0: I'm particularly remembering my mum.
1: Your mum. What was your mum's name?
0: My mum's name was Muriel. Oh, Muriel, that's nice. And she was about, I think she was 48 when she died.
1: Oh, wow. How old and were you and when... I
0: was 20. That's young. So that was 45 years ago. Wow. Now, 40 yeah, 46 years ago just Yeah, now. yeah. And um I think it's the most profound influence on everything I've done. Actually, yeah. strangely looking yeah. at it and it's only since I've started performing and uh, what the show I do Incurable Optimist, is is about my Parkinson's and about my life before, but it's about the empowering strength of comedy and laughter. And that, as I discovered as I was working on the show, stems from the fact that I come from a household which didn't have very much mm. laughter, because my, not only did my, mu- I mean, she died of cancer at 48, but... Basically, I think she had some form of cancer or other pretty well all my life. Wow! So she had breast cancer when I was very young, and she had a breast removed. And then she didn't really want to talk about cancer. She she refused to go to the doctor if there was any because she was so scared.
1: Oh gosh!
0: And then she um, she got cancer of the spine when I was fourteen and fifteen. And now I didn't know this, you see. The thing was, in those days, um, we were rather more patriarchal than yeah, we are yeah. now, thank God. And my dad was told by the um, oncologists that she had cancer of the spine and he and she was given a year to live. And they said, we don't know whether you want to tell your wife. And he didn't. Wow. and he didn't tell me well obviously he he wouldn't want me to know really and um oh my so God. we were living in a house where we didn't know if she knew she had it. in fact she lived for five or six years till I was 20 and um oh, that is an incredible
1: situation yes and, like and said... I
0: didn't I mean I didn't know you see yeah. I, I didn't know the what was going on really I just knew I had a mother who was not very well Mm. and struggling with walking and things like that. And it wasn't until she got really bad um, when I was about 19 that my dad told me. And um, so I was living in a life where, uh, living in a house where where laughter was in short supply. And as I say in the show, you know, normally when... uh, People talk about doing comedy and they say, I wanted to make other people laugh. You mm. know, I wanted to make my friends laugh so they didn't beat me up <laughs> yeah, or yeah, the bullies yeah. so they didn't beat me up. And I wanted to make, you know, my people who who I liked laugh. And, and I think the truth is I wanted to make me laugh. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and the best way to do it <laughs> yeah, was why not? to have a go at writing some comedy because yeah. I, I have always, um, luckily, sort of been able to make myself laugh and giggle and and the fact that I've been working all my life with other people whose yeah. whose mission in life is to, is to make me giggle first of all yeah. as a producer or a script editor I mean just phenomenal luck to, to fall into a profession like that but I and I think it stemmed from the fact that I was living without laughter or would have been yeah. were
1: you when your mum was sick and you didn't know mm. well you know you knew what, what like, when you look back, do you think, oh, I did know? Or was it just like you just, was it just not discussed in those days? No, just... we didn't
0: discuss it at all. It was not, you know, heard of elephants yeah. in the room, <laughs> enormous. I mean, it was, it was very weird because for a while she did sort of get better. She was convinced or told us she was convinced, because I was an only child. Right. Um, That it was. Sciatica or something like, or you know, right, trapped yeah, of course. Nerve in her yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. And and looking back, there's um, there's one day I um I managed to get tickets because we lived in a place called Bexhill. Oh yeah, yeah. In Sussex, which is, I mean, I was destined to meet my wife Julie in Bexhill because we were the only two people under sixty-five <laughs> in the entire. <laughs> time. I mean, it, it worked is, out. It worked it out. It worked out very well. But the um uh she, she she was particularly keen to see a play at the Brighton um theatre Royal Brighton because i think Ingrid Bergman was in it wow that's um, a, yes that's a I good mean, name yeah, for the theatre Royal Brighton name. yeah and so i managed to get tickets but they were up in the balcony i mean they were linda highest and i just remember taking her and my dad and to to see this play and struggling up these stairs because she had a Zimmer frame and wow. everything and she was determined to get up there and and she did and I I now I look back on that thinking oh god what pain did I put her mm. through and she was so uncomplaining about it and um, and she loved the play and she she was thrilled to see Ingrid Bergman and so so it in some ways it was a happy memory and in other ways it was not. And I just think if I'd been, you know, had a bit more confidence and a bit more oomph, I'd have said, you know, I have a disabled mother and yeah, I'd really yeah. appreciate it. Do you not have any seats? Lower down. <laughs> Lower down.
1: <laughs> but I guess in a world where nobody's discussing ailments...
0: Nobody was discussing these. Then anything.
1: you just, like, you know, you don't say anything. And... No,
0: and in fact in the in the world of... Well, the very fact that you're doing this podcast with people who work in comedy is extraordinary. Because when I started in comedy 40 years ago, you couldn't mention cancer. Wow. You literally couldn't. If you you mentioned cancer, you were seen to be making fun of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was exactly the opposite that you were trying to do. You're trying to address these things and you're trying to address serious illness and, and death and one way of addressing it is through comedy.
1: Yeah, because you you soften what it. Well, it is a very serious singing. And yeah. I often, when people haven't heard the show, sometimes they're a bit like... You know, are you are you making light of people dying? <laughs> I'm like, of course I'm not. No. And I always say the fact that people die is not funny. But what happens around them dying is often
0: hilarious. It is absolutely <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but, and there yeah. are always hilarious things. Yeah. And always. Y- and you've got to treasure the hilarious myth. Yeah. yes. Because, because there's but, so much rubbish. There's so much rubbish. And yeah. also, you know, the people who look after the people who are ill need that release of, yeah. of laughter. And also, with the person themselves, it's just possible that through the laughter and through the joking, you find a way of getting to a deeper conversation. Yeah, because so often yeah. you start with jokes and laughs and then that enables you to sort of break down barriers. I, I sort of write things occasionally, um, particularly for Christmas concerts, for Maggie's, the cancer supporter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it seems to me that the atmosphere in the Maggie's Centres is one which encourages laughter around. Every Maggie's Centre has to have a kitchen table around which people can gather and chat and laugh. and, And they seem to, you know, there's a desire of people, you know, whether it's cancer or in my case Parkinson's. I've been giving talks to groups of people with Parkinson's. There's a need and a desire for for laughter, hmm. people want to laugh at their illness. It's yeah. not you're not laughing at them.
1: No, no, and you're not you're laughing at the thing. Which the thing is, that is, yeah, is the stuff that comes with that thing. Yes, and I think you know, especially when people are ill. I mean, this is you know one of the reasons I do the shows. When my dad was sick, it was the air was so heavy with illness and cancer, that any break in that was like coming up for air, you know? It was like, oh, there's oxygen. I remember what life used to be like. And that's what laughter gives you, this little, like... You know what? This isn't everything. This isn't how life will be forever. There is, there'll be other times that you laugh, and I feel like laughter transports you into little, like time travel. It's like remember when you were happy? You're yes. like, oh yeah, I will be happy again. This isn't everything. Yeah. It's so important.
0: Well, the, in a way, the, the, the wonderful thing about laughter is that it's something you share, mm. and it's something that brings yes. us together. I, yeah. I think it's why um, I think it's why comedy is so loathed. <laughs> or particular comedies are so loathed by people who do not get what's funny about yeah, something. Yeah. It's because... Um, oh,
1: yeah, because you're excluded, really,
0: aren't you're you? You're excluded. Com- <laughs> it's all about belonging.
1: Yeah. From our
0: earliest sort of primitive roots as as Definitely. part of, the, you know, the tribe, yeah. we want to belong. And one way we can show we belong is by laughing at the same thing. But if you're surrounded by people who are laughing and you're not, my God, you hate... It's it's why nobody ever says that that's the worst documentary I've ever seen, but all the time they're saying this is the, the worst,
1: worst yeah. comedy
0: I've ever seen. Simply because, you know, you'd think you'd committed some crime, but actually all you've done is failed to give them a laugh. It's as though you've gone in and vomited over their children. They hate you so. Much. I mean, it's just
1: ludicrous I know I often say yeah, you know, comedians often say this as well like when someone when you watch a drama if there's a new BBC drama you know people will go oh yeah I watched the first episode yeah it's okay yes. like they're like oh this, this maybe a story didn't go but if they watch a comic, they go, oh awful I hated it I hate her I hate him it's not funny and I think with the drama, no they, they would almost say, "Oh well, I'm not a drama expert. And yes, I don't watch that many dramas, or I didn't understand what it was really about." But comedy, they—everyone feels like they have a degree in it, like yes. because they because they laugh. Yes. they feel like, "Well, I have a degree in this. I can definitely yes. have an opinion on it." And I've had people like stop me. I'm in, ugh, I'm in one episode of the new Alan Partridge, and the, like, so oh yes, I was,
0: no, I saw it the first episode. Yeah. Very good. Yes. Well,
1: it's such a for me an honor to be part of what I think is, you know just one of my favourite comedies and you know people with no comedy credentials at all just stop me and go oh I watched it. I didn't like the rest of it (laughs) like my mum's friend (laughs) I was like oh and you know this is somebody who they don't work they've never written a joke in their life but they feel very confident able to say I don't think Alan Potters is funny and you're like what why do you think your opinion on that
0: matter I I know it's strange isn't it but But of course their opinion is their opinion yeah. and they're perfectly Absolutely. allowed. Absolutely. And what we can't accept is that we all have different senses yeah. of humour. Yeah. We all have one, but it's, it's just a different thing. I mean I remember and people even family can be like that. I remember years and years ago telling my grandmother um, that I'd started working I was starting to produce weekending. Oh, which wow. at the time was yeah. you know, a big thing for for a producer to be given weekending the the topical, you know, satirical show of the week. And uh, my grandmother said, "Oh, right. Well, let me know when you're doing something interesting, and I'll listen <laughs> up for it."
1: <laughs> oh, well, thanks! <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah, always there to put you in your
0: place, aren't they?
1: <laughs> so your your mum was um, your mum died when you were twenty. Were you were you there when she died?
0: I was not. So I was in my first year at Cambridge, and it was the it was at the end of January. So I would sort of gone back for my second term. But I remember the you know Christmas um, vacation very very difficult, and I I mean she was sort of bedridden, and I just remember the bed sores, and mm. that was deeply painful. Painful, and I and I do remember that the um, I remember one night thinking I'd love to go. Well, I wouldn't love to go, but I something in me wanted to go and put a pillow over her head mm. because I just couldn't bear watch the this. pain. Watch the pain. Yeah, it was so all-encompassing and it was horrible. And so then I went back, you know, to university, and and she died a couple of weeks later. And I and there was something funny around the time, mm. you know, beforehand, because I remember I I proposed to my wife basically I asked her to marry me and she said yes and then I said well you better it was one o'clock in the morning I said well you better go home now and um, I don't want you to disturb mum or my grandparents or my dad in the house so um, so I pushed her out of the bedroom window <laughs> it was a bungalow <laughs>
1: but <laughs> Oh, I see. Done. Deal sealed. sealed. Signed that's the contract. You better, leave now. You, yeah, better yeah. leave now. you um,
0: better leave now. But we did it because we wanted to be able to tell <laughs> my mum. Mom.
1: Oh, so you got the chance to tell her.
0: So we got the chance to tell her. But it's um, I I shut down emotionally. Mm. Well, it was very. Um, I didn't. I couldn't cry because I had just. I sort of decided not to be hurt by these things. And it was um, years and years later, I was working on a show that I'd written and (laughs) I'd got very tired and there was some sort of little problem with the script which I couldn't quite solve, which was a little problem. Mm. But because of my state of mind and my... Uh, physical exhaustion and the fact that we were recording it the following Monday as it were became a huge problem Mm. do you know how you magnify things and and so I I went to see the uh, my producer rang me up that's right and I said I I'd gone home the previous night to fix this problem and I rang up and I said I can't actually come into work because I'm shaking so much I can't actually drive at the moment wow and she said, uh, what do you do to relax normally? And I said, well, normally what I do to relax is write, but I don't think that's quite the answer <laughs> at the moment. So she said, go and see every film in Oxford. <laughs> well, this is lovely producer, Su- Susie Belbin, who also produced one of the great masterpieces, One Foot in the Grave. Oh, wow. Anyway. So she said, go and see every film in Oxford. So I said, oh, well, I will do, um, but first I'll go and see the doctor. And I went to the doctor and he <laughs> he said, ah, right, yes, you've got depression. Uh, have some Prozac. <laughs> so, Wow. Uh, so <laughs> it was the shortest. <laughs> yeah, Oh, that's easily diagnosed, isn't it? And so I put, went on some Prozac. And, well, about a, no, a week later, I was going into rehearsal and I was driving into London along the motorway and I remember thinking, hmm, this... I think this Prozac might be having a strange effect on me because I was singing a song and I can remember the lyrics very, very clearly. They went, fucky, uh, fucky, fucky, wank, wank, fuck. <laughs> and I remember thinking, this is quite weird, but most of my brain was thinking, I don't give a fucky, 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 wank, wank, fuck. And uh, it's... <laughs> And strangely, oh my God. Uh, it's just definitely not what I thought you were going to say. No, no, no. And I, uh, <laughs> so I, I came off the project quite quickly. Mm, the doctor mm. said it does have a worryingly disinhibiting effect on some people. <laughs> <laughs> so I came off the project, <laughs> and I went to see a counsellor instead. And she started talking to me about my upbringing because I'd said to her oh, it was fairly normal, you know, actually quite funny because i remembered lots of funny things that yeah, happened to yeah. me. And I said uh, how I came from a, quite a funny family, really, because my f- father was married to my wife's mother because he'd remarried. Oh, right. Um, he'd married my, Julie's mum. I am married to my stepsister. I
1: see, wow.
0: Simon <laughs> is not only my son, but he's my nephew because he's the son of my stepsister. Oh, my God. So um, so I was talking about this mad family and she said, ah, so your father married your wife's mother. So where was your mum? And that, that got me started on my mum's death. Mm. And, and I realised, and she said, well, you never really went through adolescence, did you? Mm. And I said, ah, that's interesting. Uh, I suppose I didn't really, because somehow deep down I was aware throughout my teenage years, I was very conforming mm. and very controlled, and always have been really, because the last thing you can do when you've got someone ill in the house is to rock the boat even more, because yeah. there's enough, you know, enough water being shipped in yeah. as it, as it were anyway. So I I used to joke with my dad. I used to say, "My God, I'm going to be hell when I go through puberty." Because... <laughs> <laughs> Instantly, I should say, with the, um, the 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 song I sang, I did about a year later go and I had to have a medical um, just to be you know when you're working on a production sometimes you have to have a medical just mm. to make sure you're right for insurance purposes. And I met the BBC doctor, and and I said I'd had this very brief bout of depression and he said and I told him about the song and he said do you know I sing a song very lightly. Um and I sing it to the chimes of Big Ben fuck 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 wank 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 but he said uh, but uh, amazingly I don't need Prozac to do it that's so, incredible. It's just extraordinary, isn't it? It's incredible. The People you meet who are in Perhaps positions of yeah. girl
1: authority. Perhaps it's a thing in men in a certain age or and the I just BBC. don't know about I the don't BBC, know. yeah. <laughs> we just don't know. It's yeah. yeah that is that is incredible. <laughs> but also how I find that really I find it interesting that he just said, Oh, I have Prozac, which I think I don't know now. Well, I, now, hope, I hope now someone would be like, well, before we just give you these drugs. No,
0: four days after I was put on the Prozac, there was a documentary about it. Wow. And it said, one of the things it said was that it, it did unlock writer's block.
1: Oh, wow. You did
0: begin to write much more. But what you wrote was complete bollocks.
1: <laughs> oh, no, that's 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 like writer's Schrodinger's cat. It's yes, just like, yes. well, it will solve it, but everything will be shit. It's like, oh, no. How, not Schrodinger's, I'm sure that's the wrong example. But, God, that's incredible. But also incredible that you sort of had an inverted commas bad reaction that you then end up in counselling because if you'd had a fine reaction you might have stayed on it like I suppose
0: so and then become addicted to it or whatever I mean I did um, I was I was quite reluctant to take it anyway and I hated the sense of being out of control Mm. as it were because I've always been very self contained which I think again comes from the the upbringing
1: I'm very bad at being out of control and everyone I've spoken to who's lost a parent quite young especially teenagers yes i think it comes from that because your control got taken away from you yes at a very a point where you were supposed to be sort of wrestling it back and being like i'm going to be who i want yes. and the world went no
0: that's right so i
1: think it then makes you quite for me definitely quite uptight <laughs> quite anxious and quite like no 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 i'm going to be in control of things because the world is obviously not a very safe place so let's lock down yes. guys so yeah yes. i've always and i know antidepressants work for some people absolutely amazingly they do that's obviously brilliantly wonderful but yeah i think the movement to not hand them out so easily i think is obviously a good thing because they do have strong side effects
0: they do and i mean i'm i'm now on lots of pills yeah yeah, for parkinson's so i'm aware that uh you know and they they do have effects on you luckily i mean i'm i'm okay with them and i haven't had a terrible side effects because some of the, the parkinson's drugs can have serious side effects they can lead to um can lead to gambling. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Behavior.
1: I heard about that on the radio. Yeah. Yes.
0: And uh, they can lead to, to hypersexuality. Wow. Um, my wife asked if I could start on those straight away. <laughs> and and actually, I, I did. And, and they are fantastic, I have to say. <laughs> We've had a lovely time. <laughs>
1: I mean, great. You know, that's what I mean. Like, if it's something if you're going through, something awful, there should always be
0: benefits. There, there should be there like, well, side. yes, and there has to
1: be the plus side.
0: <clears throat> and because with my mum, there weren't any plus sides. Yeah. This is the thing. I I am determined to find the plus sides all the time and keep laughing and keep talking about yeah, it because yeah. it's actually um, it, it's very important to do so. And there, there are plus sides. When I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. I decided to tell people um in a letter. Mm. All my friends and all my family who sort of didn't live nearby. And the only letter I send out each year is the one with the Christmas cards. Yeah, yeah. So basically that's what I did, you know. <laughs> the, you know, the normal Christmas <laughs> yeah, yeah. letter that go the round robin <laughs> from Hope people you're all well. you know. Well,
1: we've had a lovely a, year. lovely
0: year. These are the holiday <clears> snaps and um uh, the first child is doing so well at university and you, they're sickening, aren't they? Yeah, really? yeah. So mine was, uh, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that'll brighten up their Christmas. <laughs> and,
1: uh, it definitely won't you not throw it away, but oh, it's just some usual letter no, saying no, 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 It's like, that's,
0: what? That's right. And three <clears> people got back to us and said, you must come and stay next year. Uh, we'd love to see you. So we had lovely weekends in uh, the Lake District, uh, the West Country, and <laughs> France. And it was only when they each took Julie to one side during the weekend at some point and said, Just how, how long exactly has, has Paul got now? That we realised that they didn't know oh, that what Parkinson's was. <laughs> We're we're still going back to one couple every year and they say it's amazing, hey. And I say I'm just taking it a day at a time. (laughs) So there are (laughs) flosses I'm
1: crying. Oh my God. Just don't break it. Why? Get free holiday. That's hilarious. Also I think that's also interesting that they didn't say it to you. No, like didn't say so you could be like, oh, that's not what. So, of course, if they're sort of whispering about
0: it, what? Yeah. Well, they would, wouldn't they? Yeah, because yeah. they don't want to broach the the, I the it's, topic. Yeah, it's so difficult. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I strangely find it easier to broach the, the topic with other people who have other serious illnesses. Yeah, yeah. Because I sort of feel, I mean, and this is maybe wrong and insensitive, but I sort of feel I'm a bit in the club. Yeah. No, I there think so. Yeah. There is a so, club yeah. of people with with yeah. um, debilitating, se- yeah. you know. My well, we, is at the moment incurable, yeah. so, You know, so I feel um, I, I'm allowed. To, I'm allowed yeah. to say and do certain things. To well, we them. talk about
1: that all the time in the show. Of like, this is this is the club. Once you've lost someone, once someone very close to you in your family and your unit has died, or you know, a friend or what, people who mean something to you. There's, you're in a club and there's just that difference i think you're right one of the main things is an ease of bringing it up because yes. you don't feel like oh how are they gonna react you're like oh, i know how you're gonna react to us. you know like i know what it means in a way yes. you know of course everyone's different um so, of course, I've never really thought about that. But, yeah, there must be a club for people with debilitating illnesses <laughs> who are like, yeah, well, I can, we can make jokes about it. And you know I'm, you know I'm coming from a different position. Exactly. Yeah. That's
0: exactly it. I'm not coming to the, from the position of, of just making fun of it. Yeah. Um, and I am coming from the position of being concerned. Though, I have to say, I have always been, and again, I was thinking about it when I was working on the show and... Also, I'm doing a longer version of the show in most places because I'm doing a sort of Q&A and I've been trying to think of questions people might ask and things I'd talk about. And and I am a terrible carer. Mm. I am to. I mean, there were, because I locked down my own feelings about <clears throat> my own yeah, yeah. pain when my mum died, it sort of made me a bit... Simon, our son... You know, if you see him, ask him and he'll say, Christ, Dad's really insensitive. <laughs> because, I mean, the things I do, I um. Uh, a friend once years ago was telling us, telling Julie and me about the breakup of a relationship, which meant a lot to him and he was very serious. And I suddenly saw Julie fix me with a stare and I realised that I was flicking peanuts in the end. Trying to catch in the mouth, <laughs> because I... I'd really lost interest oh in what my this God. And then and I'm not good at talking to having conversation as Julie will put it. Yeah, she says yeah. sometimes we're going to have a conversation, Paul. Right, yeah. about things. And one day she got the uh, she got the kitchen timer and she said, "Now, I'm going to set it to 5 minutes. We're going to have proper conversation for at least 5 minutes, Paul. Yeah. it's not long to ask. <laughs> it's not a big thing, just 5 minutes." Wow. to... So she set it for five minutes and, and we started the conversation and then I said, um, is that a fox in the background? <laughs> and she looked round, and I adjusted the timer to two minutes. Now that is just terrible, isn't it?
1: I mean it comes from a place of just not wanting to go serious Well, to get serious, and do you think that comes because your mum was sick and everything was so serious? Yes, that you just don't want to be sometimes I there? don't
0: want to be there yeah and, and strangely and i'm i' don't, my the the comedy about parkinson's and i'm if I think of jokes and everything, you would think that that would mean that you're wallowing in it yeah, you're, yeah. I'm thinking about it a lot. But in fact, it's the opposite. It's as though it's happening to someone else. Oh, and yeah, when, when yeah. I think of jokes about, you know, the things that happen with Parkinson's and and when people say inappropriate things, I could get very cross. Mm. You know, when somebody, there was a, a charity worker um, who said, we want to uh, involve you in lots of fundraising, Paul. We want to get the most out of you while well, we still can <laughs> Now you see, I Thank could you. find that deeply offensive, but yeah. actually it's hilarious. Yeah, because <laughs> she meant it in the nicest, the nicest possible, possible way. way yeah, but it's in, best, in the best possible taste. It just comes out, you know. About, yeah. And there was um, an a, a neurologist who um uh had a wonderful way of delivering information like a roller coaster ride because he wanted to tell you how it was, mm. but he didn't want to you know let you down to so it was so he julie asked him does parkinson's affect life expectancy and he said ah oh, now that's a very interesting question i'm glad you asked me that and so he was talking to a room of students yeah, rather yeah. than someone with it yeah yeah he said uh, yes well we used to think that it did affect life expectancy but then about 6 years ago we decided that it didn't but now we think it does. <laughs> 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 yes. don't, don't forget, yeah. <laughs> down the, the water. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, belongs here, guys. Yes. You think it's fine? Well, what what happened? Oh my god! But I think that's. I mean, that's incredible. Whether where where it comes from almost doesn't matter sometimes because I definitely do things, make jokes of things because my dad died and and you know when I was fifteen and
0: fifteen. Yeah, that is young. That is a seriously
1: it's young yeah bad age. <laughs> it's not great yeah it's not great at all but i sometimes like you said the sort of benefits of it are you can laugh about things and i do i do think even though my therapist is constantly saying to me well maybe we need to stay in the pain because i'm the same it's like try to make a joke of it make a joke of it yes. and i think sometimes you can go too far the other way of constantly yes. making jokes about it, but i will argue for the the sort of the magic of having that ability yeah, because it gets you through life it gets you through those difficult times yes. and it's a really good when things are really bad like to survive to make jokes to survive I think the problem is in the long term you have to then remember oh maybe I can stop making jokes briefly and have a conversation yes <laughs> but you sort of get locked into that making jokes but for that sort of crisis point it's invaluable isn't it it's
0: absolutely crucial and it's why you know if you talk to paramedics yeah, well, people, you know, in in jobs where they're dealing with life and death, the the jokes they tell, yeah, <laughs> would be, you you would think, my God, these sick, <laughs> sick terrible bastards. people, but in fact, of course, they're the the opposite. And I remember having a conversation with. Um, with a, a a Jewish woman who who helped with our Parkinson's dance club oh. I go to dance for Parkinson's oh. classes. and there was this wonderful uh, Jewish uh, woman who came and she she we were talking about difficult subjects and she said she said some of the jokes they tell she tells with her friends about the the, the appalling things that have happened to mm, Jewish people yeah is she said it would make you you Amazed, And she said, but it's our way yeah. of coping. And that's a similar way, I suppose, what Mel Brooks was doing in The Producers.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
0: it's how we we use comedy. I've always said, you know, um, in terms of satire and comedy and things when I was working on sort of more daring <laughs> programmes than The Vicar of Dibley <laughs> things. But I I always used to think, you know, there is no subject you cannot tackle mm. as long as you tackle it in the in the right direction. Because there is there is a comic point that can be made about pretty well anything as long as you're very sure that the comic point is being made for a purpose. Yeah. That is to to point to the truth or to point to the what's what's crucial about it and especially
1: if it is like you said your story I think that's the other thing I feel when anyone's ever not many people have but if anyone's ever said well this is in bad taste talking about it I've said you know it's my dad I will crack jokes about his death (laughs) like that's mine and you know I won't crack jokes about other people you know other people's tragedy that's their job it's like you own your grief Mm. did you ever speak to your dad about what happened um
0: a, a bit, mm-hmm. not a lot. I mean, I, I love my dad. Uh, he um, he died. What was it? Some, 17 years ago. Um, he was he was a he was a wonderful man. Very, very uh, set in his ways. Mm. There was a right way of doing things and a wrong way. For example, he said to me, um, "I don't want to nag, Paul," uh, which means I'm about to <laughs> yeah. nag. Yeah. But I, I really do think you should uh, wear a tie when you go to work. <laughs> I said, well, if, I, if I'm if i doing a show and I'm yeah. in front of the audience, I, I put a suit on. But if I'm just in the editing suite, I don't... Buy. No, no, I'm not talking about being at the BBC in London, Paul. You are a commuter on British Rail <laughs> and you should wear a shirt and tie. Because in his day, you know, commuters wow. on British Rail wore a bowler hat. and Yeah. Came, but, and he had these very... He had these very... <laughs> Sort of, he didn't really talk that much about it, I I suppose. It was, um, I never found much of an opportunity to talk mm. about it at, at all with him, um, which perhaps I, I should have done. But then he was happily married to Judy's mum. Yeah. So, and it was difficult then, I suppose, to yeah. talk about my mum a lot. Yeah. Because he'd got over it. He did ha- say once to me... Um, He was talking about his own mum, who was... He wasn't religious, but his mother, my grandmother, was religious. And he said to me, um, he said, uh, my mum has been saying I should believe in God now because although, Muriel, your mum died, Paul, uh, uh, God has brought me a second wife. Mm. And he said, and I, I can't... Except that. I just don't think that it's as simple as that.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. That's, yeah, the way I
0: thought that was very, you know, very powerful way of putting it really. Um he was hilarious in the way he had no sense of um the impacts of what he said on people. He would say things like um I was perfectly reasonable. I mean, about the neighbour's garden, I was completely reasonable, completely calm about it. I just said, Your garden's a bloody disgrace. Mate. You need to sort it out. <laughs> <laughs> he perfectly just, reasonable. Just had that, that, that glorious yeah. way of being.
1: Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Adloyd. So, when did he. How long was how long was it till he re- married did he sorry
0: married my mum ma- yes, my his second mum yeah, as yeah. it were um yeah. it was so we got married when uh, i was 21 very yeah, young yeah. because i and maybe that's to do with my mum dying yeah, as well yeah yeah so I married in 75, Julie and I got married, and then they got married two years later.
1: And is that how they met,
0: for you and Julie? They, basically, I would be going round to Julie's house for, for Sunday lunch, and I would and Julie's mum would say, does, does your dad want to come round Sunday lunch? So he used to come round occasionally. And then um, I, he, he ran a shop, he owned a shop in, in Bexhill, and Julie and I remember we used to chat about, you know, which customers might be, be potential partners for. Right. Yeah. Little knowing that he was <laughs> in fact meeting uh, Julie's mum at the cash and carry wow. <laughs> on his half day off, and then um, oh well, they're both they're both gone now, so I can tell you we you know when you <clears throat> when you um. You go out to the cinema, parents go out to the cinema or to the theatre or something or for the, to the pub and they say to the son or daughter, we're we going out, do you want to come with us? And the son or daughter says, no, I've got some homework to do. And mm. then as soon as they're gone, they get their boyfriend or girlfriend yeah, and girlfriend. Yeah. So I said to my dad, we're, we're going out this evening, do you want to come with us? No, no, I've got some stock taking to do in the shop. And when we came back, we couldn't open the front door, it was bolted. <laughs> And we sort of s- stood back, and there was Judy's mum currently closing the bedroom curtains. And that's how we found out. <laughs> it was just fantastic. That's amazing. That's and,
1: hilarious. And
0: uh, so, you know... Oh, my God. I have to, you know, do comedy because I come from a complete sitcom family. I mean, that,
1: Yeah, I was like, that is total sitcom behaviour that is the thing you see in sitcom you think well that wouldn't happen but yeah no. you, and then
0: and then Julie's mum changed her, because we I was an archer Julie was Mayhew we put our names together mm. and then um Julie's mum before they got married and she moved in with my dad um, she changed her name from Mayhew to Archer <laughs> Okay. so the registrar uh, when we the four of us were there in yeah. his little office and he said just need to just clarify a couple of things here, <laughs> Mr. Archer. You're marrying Mrs. Archer, and your best man is Mr. Mayhew Archer. <laughs> a- and Mrs. Archer, you're you're marrying Mr. Archer, and you're being given away by Mrs. Mayhew Archer. And you all live at twenty-eight <laughs> <as> in Crescent.
1: <laughs> That's a there's a sitcom in that, isn't it? And there?
0: not only that, not only that. We thought, you know, when the time comes for Simon to get married, yeah. what if his wife says, "I want to keep my name"?
1: Yeah, then you've got triple-barrelled. triple yeah.
0: So he thought the best thing to do is to marry her girl whose name is already Archer. <laughs> so that's what he's done.
1: It blew my mind when he tu- when he yes he said her. So I was really confused. He was like, "No, she's Archer." I was like, "What do you, what do you mean? I don't." What are you gonna call what's your surname gonna be? He's like, no, it'll just be May May. Right March.
0: Yeah. I mean they don't know I mean she is my long lost daughter. Oh, I see. They they don't know that. I mean,
1: <laughs> you know, they'll
0: find out when the children come along and they count the fingers. It it'll it'll all come out in the wash eventually. Yeah.
1: And maybe you know, by then you can say it's not my problem anymore. It's not my, it my problem. Is. No, yeah, no yeah. I'll
0: be so far gone with the Parkinson's it won't be my problem anymore.
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> are you writing all of this down? Like, are you sort of, like, all this... Because that's such a beautiful image of you, how you found out about your... I am well.
0: I'm going to be using it in my, yeah, my show. In and show, I am writing too, it down yeah. because... And and I'm um, sort of... And I'm using, I mean, little bits, little incidents in, in the film I've been... Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Writing that sounds about amazing. my ex- experience. And, yeah. and there's parts of me in it. And actually, when you say, you know, talking about comedy and seriousness, mm. that the problem I've had with the with the film I've been writing and the thing that, you know, my producer Hilary has been on about and Simon, son, <laughs> has been on about, is trying to be, you know, serious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I always head for the joke. Head for the joke. And, yeah. and sometimes you have to head away from the joke and, yeah. and show the real uh, situation, as it were. Um, so that's what I'm. I'm trying to educate myself to, to do.
1: <laughs> I think if you're someone who always heads for the joke, I always say like, "That's not going to go anywhere." You can definitely do that. So if it gets too serious, you don't need to worry because yes. you can then add the joke. Yeah, but it's about yeah. I think especially now there is a fashion, and I think it's it's a good fashion it's not fashion makes it sound frivolous but there's comedy is moving to this world where you you can actually be very serious and very funny in the same show which didn't used to happen no and you know the topics that are covered now you know even I mean this country I think really sometimes goes to places and shows like Catastrophe and you know they're they're tackling and Derry Girls I just got into as well they're tackling stuff that I agree with you like in the past, it was not discussed. You just had a comedy. Mm. You would have had a comedy about four Irish girls. You wouldn't mm. have mentioned what else no, was no, going no. on. And I think now it's that like you said that world where your the world where your dad wouldn't even tell your mum that she was sick is is it's so far, isn't it, from where mm. we're at now culturally of talking about these things or being yes. able to make jokes about cancer and yes. mortality. Yes, and it's
0: absolutely vital that we do it. And the one thing we've got to get. I mean, I think we're getting. Better with the illness. Mm. I think we're definitely, you know, we're 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 normalizing it. We we're not ghettoizing people who are yeah. ill and not talking to them. All yeah, right. yeah. But the one that we still need to work on is death. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And bereavement and grieving yeah. and and how it, you know, and talking about the end, because you know they. I can't remember who said it was death and taxes the only two certainly. Oh, it's American, so isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think with Trump and various people to really <laughs> death isn't it because they've, they've worked out how to avoid yeah, the weapons. Yeah 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 that's very true. Um but it's sort of uh, I think that we still haven't come to terms with with how to talk about death and I don't know whether that's something particularly British is it?
1: That? I don't I mean I think we definitely um unlike most things in the world we're doing very well at that. <laughs> I would say <laughs> I think other countries perhaps are, yeah, you know, we do very well at, at being difficult at talking about it. Yes. Um, and certainly from doing this show, the only, you know, I haven't spoken to enough nationalities, but yeah, I think it's it's something we are successful at not talking about. But not then,
0: successful yeah. at not talking.
1: But, but then you say, it's funny though, isn't it? Because we are, it is difficult for people, but then when you remember what it used to be like, that yes. illness was not even mentioned at all, mm. I feel like... You know, I can't imagine that because I grew up where my dad was diagnosed, we all knew and it was discussed. And I know some, you know, even today, some people don't have that. But I think majority of people are, it's discussed at mm. least. And I think, God, you forget how far we've come, even though, but it doesn't mean we can stop. <laughs> like <Yes>. There's still <laughs> yes. a long way to go. Yeah. And how do you feel about, <laughs> I hate to ask you this, but, <laughs> like, but your own mortality, do you feel... Because of what maybe what happened to you and it wasn't discussed, are you trying to with your family and friends? You know, you've made the the jokey round robin, but are you yeah. trying to have those conversations or is it?
0: I am my own mortality. I did another podcast mm. about the science of of laughter and all of that, and it was um, with a chap called Mark Thornton, who's was, who's was very good. And at the end, because of all the, you know the the things that have happened to me since I got Parkinson's, like discovering I love doing stand-up and comedy and performing and loving some of the exciting... You know, I did a podcast sitting next to the Archbishop of Canterbury. (laughs) You know, fantastic. And although he did say that he preferred Father Ted to the Richard (laughs) Diddley, I chose to forgive him. But But those things, and he ended the thing by saying, are you glad you've got Parkinson's? Wow. And I said, well, you know, I know there will come a time when I'm not Mm. at all, and at times I'm not now, as it were. But strangely, and I upset my wife when I said it, and I can see why, but I said, you know, I was because of the things that it had given me. But I am also aware of the – that it it will get worse – and um, we have sort of talked about, you know, ending it. Mm. And I, I'm sort of, I sort of think about ending it and taking myself up. Julie said to me, she said, and I put this is in the show. She said, uh, "You mustn't worry, Paul. If it gets too grim, I, I will take us to that place in Sweden." <laughs> and I said, "That's." I, I think you mean Switzerland, and she said, "Oh yes, yes." But I, I have a feeling she's going to take us to IKEA, and and I'm not quite sure that's the answer. But it's, but I have, I suppose I have thought about that. I've thought about the end. I, I don't know how bad it will be. I, I watched the documentary about Parkinson's a miracle cure, mm. question mark, and um, last week, incredibly moving, incredibly brave people, and I've got to know some of them. And um, some of the things that they were experiencing, you know, um, I, I don't particularly want to yeah. be experiencing that. And and I suppose I'm using comedy and the effort it takes and the sort of the energy and the exercise that it gives me, as yeah. it were, um, to counteract it and keep the the, the, the bad times Further away, yeah. in the hope that they may get to this yeah, yeah, cure yeah, beforehand, yeah. I, I, I have no idea. It'll probably be too late for me. It is something I I think about. I think
1: it's really interesting because we've we've talked about this on the show. when I was um, when Robert Webb came on and he was saying, you know, when you admit that a traumatic experience fundamentally changes you, and when you admit that there's positives to that it's then, you sort of then loop back in to go, oh, well, then am I glad that my dad died? And it, it's not that, it's not, but it's just, I think, I think it's really sort of honest to admit, there's always good and bad to everything. Yes. Like even, you know, brilliant things have sides that are like, oh, that's a bit annoying. Yeah. And when my dad died, you know, obviously it was, like you said, the most profound thing that ever happened to me. Mm. It's influenced everything, clearly, here I am So talking about it, but. I have tried to take positives from that that it has made me appreciate things it has made me more empathetic, it has made me understand the realities of the world, but that doesn't that doesn't mean if someone you know gave you a button, you'd be like, Oh yeah, sure, kill him earlier, I'll learn more like you know what I mean you don't feel like that, but you do have to admit that. Like you say, it's not like if somebody said, "Oh, here's all the choices. Do you want these things?" Yeah, you would be like, "Oh, <clears throat> I'll take Parkinson's, thank you very much." Like yeah.
0: it's not, but it's well, there were sort of choices. Strangely, I mean, I could have. It was I was fifty-eight, so I could have said, "God, this is this is appalling." I was just slowing down, mm. ready to enjoy my retirement and and settle down and go on lots of holidays. And bloody Parkinson's! It's not fair. On the other hand it it has actually opened up opportunities for yeah. me that simply wouldn't have, have been there had i not had had parkinson's so and also between getting an inkling that i'd got something wrong with me and discovering that i got parkinson's a friend of mine had a similar trouble with his arm not swinging or problems with his arm and it turned out he had a brain tumor and he was dead a few months later wow so, given the choice,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you picked. Right. I picked. I picked the
0: right one. I think you know. And and my, yeah. my one of my best friends, you know, Jeffrey Perkins, in you know, his fifties, you know, literally keeled down one day, keeled over, and that was him gone. And it was, you know, um, so I'd I'd rather I had a long and lingering <laughs> than just to go like that. Yeah, I think,
1: like, and I was on a panel at the weekend with, um, talking about death, and there was a a lady um, from the Copperfield charity, which is a breast cancer charity, called Chris, and she got terminal four breast cancer when she was very young, so in her early 20s. Ten years on, she's still here, you know, as as the way, the world; these things happen, and she was talking, you know, that she's very much accepted her death, she Mm. knows it's coming, and she said something which just really got me, because she said, you know, the She's come to terms with her death. She's written a funeral, you know, or Mm. not funeral plan. She doesn't want one. And she's talked to people. She's sort of done a lot of stuff. And she said, just because I got the terminal illness doesn't mean I'm going first. And I thought, God, that's so true that it's very easy to look at the debilitating illness club and be like, "Oh." oh, Oh dear! I hope, that, and not realise that we're all in that club. that club is humanity. We're all going to yeah, die. Yes, it, you know, you maybe have more knowledge of what it might mm. be that will maybe take you when yes. you have an illness. But it's not like I can sit over here and be like, "Well, I'm okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to live forever." It's A- not. And
0: we do have an odd attitude because I do meet some people with Parkinson's, and you know, and they say oh, it's got it's got really bad recently, and I. I don't know how much longer I've got, really. And I said, "Oh, I'm so sorry. How old are you?" I- I'm 88. <laughs> and you think you you've had a pretty good go, it seems to me. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm 66. Yeah, exactly, sort of, exactly. And sort of, you know. We let's get these things in, in perspective.
1: perspective. Do you do you say that, Paul? Do you crack that open when I, they say I, that? I
0: do, <laughs> and I possibly should. <laughs> it's,
1: I I don't know maybe it's maybe that's the Archbishop of Canterbury's job is to say maybe it is you've done enough
0: yes that's
1: right (laughs) oh Paul thank you so much for coming to talk to me it was a complete I've really enjoyed it enormously I'm very very glad thank you thank you You can follow Paul on Twitter at Mayhew Archer. His show, Incurable Optimist, is playing at the Soho Theatre in London this week, but then it's touring. Do head to his website, mayhew-archer.com, for more information on where he's going, and definitely go and see it. As you have learned from this conversation, he is a brilliant, wonderful human being. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thegriefcast, and you can email thegriefcast at gmail.com. The show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Down Studios and the music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. And remember, you are not alone.